0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast USFL edition. I'm your host Ian Hardin. Hope you guys have had a great week. Um, The reason why this podcast is out on Friday instead of Thursday is because the USFL continues to insist on not releasing their injuries until very early in the morning on Friday. So when there are games on Friday, I will continue to I say I will go back to posting this on Thursdays. But given the extra day with nothing starting until Saturday, wanted to get all the information at our disposal and be able to give you guys the best picks to my knowledge. So with all. All that said, let's go ahead, go to some power rankings, best DFS picks, and some gambling picks for another beautiful week of USFL action. As always, you can find my article on pff.com breaking down these very factors and Dwayne McFarland's fabulous utilization report, showing all the route snap inside the five, long down and this long down distance, all the advanced data you could possibly want for this beautiful league. So again, let's get at it with our Week Seven power rankings. Got to be number one. Still, the Birmingham Stallions now at. 6-0, undefeated after 24 quarters of action. They went ahead and they brought Alex Magoo back into the system in the second half as more of a run first quarterback, but ultimately PFF's top-graded defense, number one in pass rush, number one in coverage, they are pressuring opposing quarterbacks on 44% of their dropbacks, Pittsburgh Maulers in second place all the way down at 36.2%. So I still think they'd be better off going with Jamar Smith over Magoo for the entirety of all these games, but you know what? Their defense is good enough and to Magoo's credit, he's been in these packages with Bo Scarborough, I think effective enough that they're putting up some points and they're not giving up very many. Birmingham Stallions still very much the best team in the USFL after six weeks of action. New Jersey Generals number two at 5 and 1. Again, credit to Luis Perez for coming in the tough situation last week, making a few mistakes, but ultimately eating that W. Shout out to Darius Victor for the help, you know, pushing him across that goal line. Uh, certainly something that maybe, you know, 20 years ago wouldn't have been allowed, but we're living in 2022. Let's act like it, people. So, unfortunately, though, with DeAndre Johnson out for the moment, moving to inactive list with that ankle injury, still listed as questionable. So maybe it's not quite as severe as we thought, but honestly, their decision to go ahead, Sanco. Kyle Luletta, and just add to this uh, quarterback room is a little bit troubling for expecting DeAndre Johnson to be back sooner rather than later. The good news. Trey Williams, Darius Victor, Darius Shepard, Jamal Moore, Alonzo Moore, and especially PFF's highest grade offensive player, Cavante Turpin, they give this offense, I think, more weapons over the field than any other USFL team can attest to having. So, Luis Perez, even if he isn't as, isn't as dynamic as DeAndre Johnson, I think that having these guys like Turpin, Victor, Williams, everyone I just listed, and a returning Jamal Moore, uh, these generals might just have the sort of skill, position, talent to overcome the loss of one of the USFL's most surprisingly good quarterbacks so far far in DeAndre Johnson. New Orleans Breakers are team number three, and there is a tier gap after this. So easily, in my opinion, the top three teams in the USFL are the Stallions, Generals, and Breakers. With the Breakers, I maintain that their highest, best possible ceiling with Kyle Sloter slinging the rock to Jonathan Adams, Johnny Dixon, Sean Poindexter, Tywan Taylor, another offense with weapons all over the place. I think the best version of the Breakers can beat the best version of these other teams because I just don't see the other top teams in this league having the sort of offense to engage in this 30, 40-point shootout with someone like the Breakers. With that said, they aren't at 100% right now. Kyle Slaughter continues to play through seemingly hand, knee. I mean, we never really got the full verdict on when his hip popped out of place or his groin or whatever the hell it was. So Slaughter's awfully banged up. He only dropped back to pass five times the entire second half last week. For now, it's tough to move the Breakers any higher. But hey, only two losses of the year did come to our top two teams in the Generals and Stallions. Gotta get the stars number four spot after taking down the bandits last week. It was a close one, but honestly, looking ahead to the playoffs, the stars are, are on the verge of clinching a playoff birth decks, so their soft division, sharing with the Panthers and the Maulers. So Case Kukas hasn't been incredible, but he's been plenty good. We've had Bug Howard and a lot of these running backs last week, Matt Colburn making enough big plays to get him by. So still don't really think the stars are a true contender. They have PFFs, easily a lowest graded defense on the season. But hey, you know, for them to beat the bandits last week, they earned in this spot and they are a top four team in the USFL. even if i do think there's a tier uh, gap between number three and number four at number five got a roll with the tampa bay bandits great game from jordan tiamu last week and he really is starting to play his best ball of the season so you know bandits league worst defense and coverage grade hasn't left much margin for error for tiamu and company but this with this offense when they're humming and tiamu it's you know They are a tier gap worse than the breakers, but I still think this offense, when they have everything going for them, can be awfully hard to keep up with. So last week, the Stars were able to do that. I'm not so sure we'll be able to count on Matt Colburn going that sort of bonkers every single week. But he did last week, and for now, Tiamu and company uh, looking from the outside in on this playoff race. Bottom three teams, and there is a tier gap after the Stars and Bandits, in my opinion. We got the Houston Gamblers coming in at number six. One in five with a minus 10 point differential, and they have yet to play a game decided by fewer than seven points all season long. I mean, the generals have lost, excuse me, the gamblers have, yeah, the, the gamblers have lost twice in a freaking row on the game's final play like this is absolutely absurd uh that they what they've had to go through uh recently with the qb sneak and then before that the pittsburgh maulers hit a bailey gaither on that you know just in kind of crossing route on the last play the gamblers have been right there they could easily be three and three but you as bill parcells says you know you are what your record says you are and alas, they are one and five just realize the gamblers along with our next team the michigan panthers aren't nearly as bad as that record might indicate Panthers 1-5 with a minus 7 point differential. Truly some wacky stuff going on. I don't quite get the move to release Shea Patterson. Maybe USFL Brass wanted him to be on one of the teams that's going to be uh, you know, making the playoffs. But he's going to be inactive for this week. And he was starting to play his best football of the season. I understand his best football you know, doesn't necessarily hold up to even average football from some of these other quarterbacks. But, you know, Paxton Lynch coming back from the ankle injury. He's still listed as questionable even though he got moved to the active roster. I'm just not so sure what what exactly was accomplished by cutting Shea Patterson. But, hey, the fighting Jeff Fishers, you know, they're at least going to keep things pretty close. In terms of looking at their uh, team, though, second most passive versus offense in the league. Only the Generals are basically running the ball more often than the Panthers. Hey, right now, you know, we got number six versus number seven this week. Gamblers versus Panthers. You know, one of the ones has to go in this one the worst team, Pittsburgh Maulers, 1 and 5 point differential from their 6 games this year, lost by 14, lost by 7, lost by 24, lost by 8, won by a single point on the game's final play and most recently lost by 10. So, PFF's second lowest graded offense continues to rotate these quarterbacks. Right now it's Vad Lee, but who's to say if Vad Lee's even going to be out there for a snap next week? I mean, truly one week after another Kirby Wilson just kind of seems to say, "Hey, maybe this next quarterback will figure out every single problem that I've created with this offense and team." Uh, since the beginning of the year started. So really just a uh, rough season from start to finish for the Pittsburgh Maulers. Don't exactly see it improving here in the later weeks. So again, you can catch those power rankings at pff.com. I also have a handy-dandy chart showing, you know, all the PFF team grades in specific categories along with those point differential numbers I was bringing up. So with all of that in mind, everyone, let's get to some of the DraftKings preview. As always, I invite you all to check out the USFL Twitter list on my Twitter at iHeartits. All I did was take the eight USFL teams Along with my guy from established to run, Cody Maine, put them in a Twitter list. But you need to look at this before you set your lineups uh, on Saturday because. As we see, week after week, a lot of things can change, and we can get a lot of edges based on these injuries. So I am recording this Friday, 1130 Central Time, hanging out in Chicago, about to go touch some grass in Wisconsin this weekend. Can't wait. Um, where, where was I? With the USFL injuries, though, I just realized we have the statuses right now, but they do do a good job, actually, of telling us who is officially active and who is inactive before the game. So cannot stress enough how important it is for you guys to, again, quickly go through the Twitter list just see what two teams are playing, who they're saying are inactive, and then you can move on. So with that said, I want to quickly go through some of the signings because this was quite the week in terms of teams cutting uh, ties with some pretty marquee players, particularly in the first-round pick range. So New Jersey Generals signed tight end Mason Sykes, also signed quarterback Kyle Luleta. Again, more so a sign that DeAndre Johnson might not be back sooner rather than later, as opposed to evidence that he's going to be splitting snaps with Luis Perez. I do think Perez will probably be out there more snaps than not this week. Tampa Bay Bandits signed running back Tra Minter. I believe he's still on the inactive list. Let's check right now. Live. Live Twitter check for the uh, USFL Bandits. Just fantastic podcast going on here. But it's important because the Bandits all year between BJ Emmons and Jawan Washington have rotated these two running backs. So we still have, okay, Tra Mentor is still on the inactive roster. So if you want to just continue to trust the two running back committee with BJ Emmons and their recent leader of Jawan Washington, feel free to do so. Pittsburgh Maulers, they signed quarterback Roland Rivers. Maybe he'll start this week. Who the hell knows? Obviously released quarterback Kyle Luletta, and they also signed wide receiver Jalen McCleskey. New Orleans Orleans Breakers signed quarterback Shea Patterson. He is not activated, though, so continuing to expect Kyle Slaughter to take each and every snap. Michigan Panthers accordingly released quarterback Shea Patterson. Have not elevated anyone other than Paxton Lynch up to the active roster. So looking like Paxton Lynch should be taking every snap. Josh Love does remain in the picture, though. Birmingham Stallions signed wide receiver Carlos Henderson. And finally, the Houston Gamblers signed quarterback Terry Wilson. I keep checking. like I've checked the USFL roster for the Gamblers like 20 times to make sure Ken Kenji Bauer is still on the squad. I can't find anything indicating that he's not, but I don't see their USFL Twitter account like saying that he's still on the inactive roster. So maybe Terry Wilson is now the backup quarterback. Either way, still fully expecting Clayton Thorson to be out there taking each and every snap of the game. Takes us to our specific injury situations. Talked about a lot of these already, but yes, with Kenji Bauer dealing with the hand injury, Clayton Thorson remains the undisputed QB1. Even when Baher was healthy, he was just coming in for a series or two, so I do like Thorson this week against the Stars' league worst defense. Also note that with the Stars, Brian Scott continues to be sidelined with that knee injury, setting up Case Cookus to play each and every snap as a Philadelphia QB1. Panthers quarterback Paxton Lynch hasn't played since Week Three due to that lower leg injury and is listed as questionable. But when you move the guy to the active roster and you go ahead and release Shea Patterson, sure, it looks like Paxton Lynch is going to be under center for as many snaps as he can handle in Week Seven and most likely beyond. And finally, with DeAndre Johnson suffering that ankle injury, listed as questionable, but they moved him to inactive roster. You know, I think we can read between the lines there and see that he is not going to be out there. Maybe Kyle Luleta comes in, splits things up with uh, with Luis Perez, but. DeAndre Johnson and Luis Perez are very different quarterbacks. I'm not convinced that Luleta offers that same sort of rushing upside that they're going to want to feature like they did with Johnson. So I really think Luis Perez should be out there more snaps than not this week. Basically, looking at the quarterbacks that could be out there every single snap based on what we've seen, Jordan Tiamu, Kyle Sloter, Clayton Thorson, Luis Perez, Case Cookis maybe badly, but I just don't trust what the Maulers are doing. So Stallions should continue to lean mostly on Jamar Smith. With that said, Alex McGo is a threat to siphon away a handful of series, especially if the Stallions build a lead. And again it also makes sense if Paxton Lynch and Josh Love maybe split snaps to some extent and the Panthers, you know, post shape Patterson era. Favorite plays of the week. We're going back the well with Jordan Tiamu was happy we got on him last week to get that overall QB1 finish. And why stop now? Playing best football of the season, overall fantasy QB3 on the year. There just isn't another quarterback right now with DeAndre Johnson out of the picture. But even then, we needed to hope he was going to play every snap. So with no DeAndre Johnson, there just isn't another quarterback that combines Tiamu's upside as both a rusher and a passer. I mean, this matchup this week, more than winnable against PFF's second lowest graded pass rush with Clayton Thorson. Last week, best game of the year. Only threw the ball 19 times, but had three touchdowns and looked good doing so. Now gets the Stars, you know, offense that continues to put up points and a defense that continues to give them up. What's that smell like, everyone? A freaking shootout. Let's get it. Love stacking Thorson with Isaiah Zuber. Um, In terms of Tiamu's favorite stacking partner, it's a lot tougher for the Bandits because they rotate six wide receivers and two tight ends every week. But I would say uh, Chiano, O'Grady, their tight end, and John Franklin, their wide receiver, who occasionally gets some wildcat snaps are going to beat your best bets but for Thorson definitely number one wide receiver Isaiah Zuber Look, you know he hasn't been scoring the touchdowns like last week he kind of had a dud but my god just from watching him play we've seen some kind of newfound yak ability that I didn't even know he had I think Zuber could be on the cusp of a complete blow-up game favorite fades right now Kyle Sloter. I'm just not confident enough that he's healthy enough to throw the ball like we know he can again. Five dropbacks in the second half last week. Sure seems like New Orleans wants to just win with the run for now if they're able to. Good for them, not so good for fantasy upside. Also, just get me away from these potential two QB offenses with Birmingham, Michigan, probably Pittsburgh. Just want to be fading these quarterback rooms until we have a little more clarity as to what's going on. At running back, running back. Darnell Holland, still dealing with the hamstring injury for the Stars, but his snaps have increased in consecutive weeks after getting back. Matt Colburn's three week six touchdowns certainly seemed like type of performance that will yield more work in the future, but man, it did come at Paul Terry's sideline with that AC sprain, so... Terry was listed as a full go on the injury report before being moved in the inactive list, so maybe he was actually just demoted back to number three running back status with Colburn and Holland healthy. That's how they started the year. Holland RB1, Colburn RB2. Paul Terry wasn't even in the mix, but then when Colburn got hurt and Holland got hurt, Terry was elevated and it took a while for Colburn to kind of get back into his groove. So honestly, it was the sort of performance from Matt Colburn last week where, yeah, it makes sense if he earns more snaps. Three touchdowns. He looked pretty damn good doing it. At the same time, Holland His snaps continue to ramp up. And if we end up seeing Paul Terry active, it could form that dreaded three-back committee. With the breakers, running back Larry Rose uh, continues to be on the inactive list. I'm not sure if he's hurt. Not all these teams tell us if it is an injury-related uh, issue or not. But Jordan Ellis, their starting running back, is dealing with an ankle injury. He is listed as probable, so he should be out there. But we don't have to deal with Larry Rose. Um, their other running back, Ezra Greg, is on the, Ezra Gray is on the inactive list. That means Anthony Jones should again be the projected leader of this backfield in terms of snaps and touches in an offense that isn't expected to throw very much. So Anthony Rose is, excuse me, Anthony. Anthony Jones is one of my favorite players of the week at running back, going back to well there after he had himself one hell of a game last week. With the Bandits running back, B.J. Emmons with a thigh injury returned to action last week. Juwan Washington continued to work as the number one back, but this was pretty split up. I mean, when the Bandits have both these guys he- healthy, they want to basically go 1A, 1B. It's not an early down versus a pass down back. They basically just rotate series out there. So, again, Trauminter is not elevated the active roster, so it's looking like this will remain a two-back committee. But for now, I just see Tampa leaning far more on Tiama in that passing game than either Emmons or Washington great situation here with the Michigan Panthers. Last week, Reggie Corbin posted weak, high marks and snaps, rush attempt share, and route rate among all USFL backs. And that was with Stevie Scott and Cam Scarlett active. Now, both guys were dealing with leg injuries in this one. We don't have to really worry about this is going to happen again, though, because Michigan decided to transfer Stevie Scott to their inactive roster, leading Corbin and Scarlett to form the first two-back committee we've seen with these guys really all season long. So I would guess Paxton Lynch, you know, all Jeff Fisher comparisons to Josh Allen, or i i I think it was actually Jason Garrett who uh, did that in the broadcast like it would be really surprising to me if Paxton Lynch comes back off the IR and they immediately just try to use him on a bunch of design quarterback runs. What's that mean? I think they're going to force-feed their best player, really. I mean, okay, Lance is a baller, and even Devin Gray's good, but clearly their best running back in Reggie Corbin. I think he's going to get his largest workload of the season, and because of that, I will probably have him in each and every lineup I make, all the Reggie Corbin this week. If you get one thing away from this podcast, take Reggie Corbin and put him in that RB1 spot this week. I'm that confident. Styling's running back CJ Maribel continues to be on the inactive list. That led to Bo Scarborough working well ahead of Tony Brooks James and snaps, rush attempts, and target share alike. So Scarborough, one of these guys that I expect to have enhanced ownership just because more people kind of know who he is out there. But it's more okay than ever to actually eat that, uh, you know, eat that chalk be- as long as Maribel is out of the picture. So Tony Brooks James, he did catch the short touchdown last week, but he hasn't really impressed all year. And honestly, if Maribel does come back, with Scarborough playing as well as he is, having the Birmingham connection, it wouldn't be all that shocking if Bo is just their starting running back from here on forth. So, but as long as Maribel remains out, that's when we're willing to go back to the well with Bo Scarborough. And finally, New Jersey Generals running back Darius Victor listed as probable with that ankle injury. Sounds like he'll be fine. He's been listed with this for a few weeks, still fully expecting him to split touches with Trey Williams. Takes us to our favorite plays. Again, Panthers running back Reggie Corbin, just 6K. We don't really have to worry about salaries because there's so much ability to save money at wide receiver, but give me all the Reggie Corbin this week. Also, Breakers running back Anthony Jones at 4.4K. Gamblers running back Mark Thompson. Guys, Mark Thompson has been incredible this year. He's, you know, was one of our recommended plays last week, caught two touchdowns. So it wasn't necessarily the how I thought we were going to get there. But when you play as much as he does, these are the sort of things that can happen when you're out there. So with Thompson this year, he has forced 41 missed tackles. The number two player is Darius Victor all the way down at 20. So truly, Mark Thompson has been a bulldozer out there and he can catch. So don't be afraid to go back to the well with him at 8K. Finally, as we said before, assuming CJ Maribel remains sidelined, starting running back Bo Scarborough at 6K firmly in play. I will most likely be fading to Stars, Generals, Bandits, and Maulers backfields. We don't need to go necessarily this far if you want to pick away at one of these guys. It's okay, but these just... I want Corbin, Jones, Thompson, and Scarborough because not only are they in the two-back committees, but they are the clear-cut leader in those two-back committees. With the Stars, Holland snaps continue to ramp up. I know Colburn was good last week, but maybe Holland gets more involved, and maybe Paul Terry comes back in the action. And with that in mind, I just don't know that going back to Colburn. Inside an offense that has been passed 1st all year until last week, um, it, seems like, it seems pretty point-chasing to me. With the Generals, got to wonder if there's going to be a little more pass-first without DeAndre Johnson in play. Even with that in mind, Darius Victor, Trey Williams, just so cut down the middle. It's tough to have a good lean on those guys. Bandits, BJ Emmons and Juwan Washington talked about them being more 1A, 1B. And then with the Maulers, it's the same thing with Garrett Groschek and Madre London being 1A, 1B. The problem is the offense isn't nearly as good as these other units and we don't even have the scoring upside to really make it worthy. Wide receiver and tight end breakers wide receiver Sean Poindexter was out last week with a hand injury, but he has been activated and he's listed as probable. So last week, Jonathan Adams, Tywan Taylor, Johnny Dixon were in three wide receiver sets. Also had Lee Morris out there with a 41% route rate. Adams and Dixon consistently have been the top two wide receivers for New Orleans this entire season. I would think Poindexter's return most likely impacts Taylor and Morris more than anyone. I'm probably going to be fading this breakers passing game for the most part this week. Again, due to Slower, being at less than 100% and accordingly not seeing that pass game volume where we want it to be. With that said, if you do want to throw some darts out there, they should be at Adams and Dixon ahead of these other wide receivers. Philadelphia Stars wide receiver DeAndre Overton missed last week with a hamstring injury that led to Jordan Sewell running 96% of the routes. Maurice Alexander, 87%. Devin Gray, 87%. And, you know, tight end, who's actually a wide receiver, Bug Howard at 65%. So if Overton's healthy enough to return, Maurice Alexander would likely be the person taking a step back. Right now in this passing game, though, it's Bug Howard is the guy I want to continue to invest in just thanks to his ability to, you know, Catch every freaking thing thrown his way in the in the end zone. Maurice Alexander, though, has looked good uh, throughout this season in terms of what he's been able to do. So if they want to go ahead and continue to feed him um, a few even rush attempts like we know he can, that would be even better. With the Generals, Jamal Moore, hamstring injury. He's back, baby. Activated off the inactive roster. Accordingly, they moved Darius Shepard to the inactive roster with a hamstring issue himself. Shepard has been playing through it. I think that explains why their snaps were so wonky last week. I mean, we had Randy Satterfield, 59% route rate, Cavante Turpin, 53 Darius Shepard, 32 while Alonzo Moore is at 100%. So earlier this year, when all these guys were healthy, Alonzo was actually the odd man out. But now that Shepard is out of the picture, I do think we'll probably see Alon- Alonzo Moore, Cavante Turpin, and Jamon Moore in three wide receiver sets. Maybe Randy Satterfield splits things up, but the good news is we did see last week with Turpin, like this New Jersey offense kind of like knows who their playmakers are, and they aren't going to stop, you know, getting them the ball, even if the routes aren't quite as high as elsewhere. So I do just think Jamon replaces Shepard in three wide receiver sets, and I want to prioritize Jamon and Turpin in fantasy lineups of all shapes and sizes. Both great players, and I just think that losing DeAndre Johnson, it would make a lot of sense if New Jersey starts throwing the ball, around a lot more bandit's wide receiver Derek dillon questionable with a wrist injury but they rotate so many wide receivers it's just tough to kind of get this huge momentum or actionable notice from just one of them being out so john franklin remains my preferred stacking partner with tiamu someone that again can offer some upside in both the pass and run game potentially Final thing, Generals tight end Braden Bowman out with a quad. His absence has led to Woody Brandon running a route. 88% of New Jersey's dropbacks last week. Hey, maybe once again, they do start to throw the ball a little bit more. And Brandon is literally like the cheapest person you can get uh, that will actually be out there on every snap basis. I mean, we'll go through my pump plays in a minute, but truly, 2,500 on DraftKings at an 88% route rate. You will not find anyone else like that. So, One other note is that Panthers wide receiver Ray Bolden transferred to the inactive roster and replaced by wide receiver Ishmael Hyman. So all year long, though, we've kind of known with Michigan. It's Lancelon it's Devin Ross. Anything other than that is kind of wishful thinking. Favorite plays of the week. Houston Gamblers wide receiver Isaiah Zuber want to stack him with Clayton Thorson. Stars tight end Buck Howard. Just what he's doing in the red zone is, you know, largely not being done throughout the rest of the USFL. Let's go ahead and get on Jamon Moore in his first game back. He is been like practicing full go, listed as probable in previous weeks. It's risky, but again, I think the talent is there. Without Darius Shepard, I, I just really think they need Jamal Moore to go be that dog that we all know he is. It seemed like earlier in the year they wanted to feature him as their one. I think we see that this week. But not afraid to go with him and Cavonte Turpin, who has also just been fantastic this year. And fan, finally, Bandits wide receiver John Franklin. Hopefully one of those Wildcat snaps comes to fruition and he busts a big one. The cheap pump plays, again, mentioned Woody Brandon at just 2,500 on DraftKings. But in terms of wide receivers, Gamblers wide receiver Tyler Polka, 74% route rate, 3,200 on DraftKings. Stars wide receiver Maurice Alexander, 87% route rate, 3,700 on DraftKings. Just keep an eye on the Andre Overton status. Mahler's wide receiver Delvin Hardaway, 80% snap rate, 3,700 on DraftKings. Panthers wide receiver Devin Ross, 79% route rate, 3,800. And Panthers wide receiver Joe Walker at 82% and 3,900. So, Go win some freaking money on DraftKings, people. I will see you in those streets. Let's get to the best bets. 14-9-1 on the season. Not too shabby. Haven't been picking the over-unders, but I think we have had about two straight weeks of overs hitting. So, uh, you know, some of those clock adjustments actually haven't really gone the way that many were thinking. So with that said, Saturday kickoff, New Jersey Generals versus Tampa Bay Bandits. The Generals are favored by four points. Game total is at 42.5. So a full-strength I would pick the Generals here, but they're not a full strength. Losing DeAndre Johnson puts an awful lot of burden on the shoulders of Luis Perez, especially against a Bandits passing in that I think does have the upside to make the Generals play from behind. So haven't really seen them be forced to deal with too much of adversity throughout this year. I know it worked out for them last week, but let's face it, they were you know a QB sneak away from losing to the freaking Houston Gamblers. So I will take the Bandits plus four. Not super confident they'll win, but I think they can keep it close enough to cover. New Orleans Breakers versus the Michigan Panthers. New Orleans favored by 5.5 points. It's another situation where when one of these teams is just at less than 100%, like I view the Breakers with Kyle Sloater, I'm going to go ahead and take the underdogs. Give me the Michigan Panthers, plus 5.5. Again, people, they're 1-5 this season with a minus 9 point differential. So, yeah, they're not good, but they're also not this bad. So... Well, I would take the Breakers money line if you know, as, as Dwayne McFarlane and I always go through the scenario, you know, girl South walks up to your door, but she's not selling cookies. She has a gun and now she's making you decide exactly what you want to pick here in this moment. I do think the Breakers win, but I think the Panthers can cover it. Give me them plus five and a half. Birmingham Stallions versus the Pittsburgh Maulers. Stallions, 12 and a half point favorites. Highest single-game spread of the year. Game total of just 41 and a half. But guess what? I gotta take the Stallions minus 12 and a half. Like for the Maulers to be this late in the season and still showing absolutely no rhythm on offense. I mean, it just hasn't been good, and they I don't think they've done themselves any favors. Jamar Smith ahead of Alex Magoo. I'd love to see that happen for the majority of games, but well, at least I mean, the overwhelming majority of games will at least take it that fact that he is now starting ahead and giving them the better chance to win as long as they are kind of in neutral situations. So Stallions minus. 12 and a half. In the final game of the week, Philadelphia Stars versus the Houston Gamblers. Stars favored by four and a half, game total of 43 and a half. Remember, the Gamblers like the Panthers, far, you know, more competitive, I think, than their one in five record indicates. Just a minus 10 diff- point differential all season long. And because of that, I do like the Gamblers plus four and a half to once again keep things close enough to cover, albeit wouldn't necessarily be putting the mortgage on them to win. So I also like the over 43 and a half here. I mean, the Stars, PFF, single worst defense on the year. They're able to put up points, Gamblers don't exactly have the world's best defense either and i think clayton thorson in the passing game are good enough to take advantage of some of these issues in the stars secondary so to recap gamblers plus four and a half against the stars and i also like over 43 and a half in that game stallions minus 12 and a half against the maulers the panthers plus five and a half against the breakers and the bandits plus four against the generals so That is going to wrap up another edition of the USFL preview on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. appreciate you guys grinding this with me all year long. And go win some fucking money this week. Why the hell not? Great day to be great. And we will be back on Tuesday after Memorial Day, recapping everything that happened, getting us ready for week eight and beyond. So thanks again for tuning in. I'm Ian Harditz. Until next time, take care, everybody.